pray that you would uh, be high and exalted, Lord, in our presence this morning, or we in yours. Um, Lord, I pray that you would give us um, a greater desire for you, uh, that what we've had, uh, an even greater desire to be obedient to you and to follow along according to your plans and your purposes, Father, because truly they are greater and higher and more significant than ours. Lord, open your scriptures to us this morning that we might see, Lord, all that you have for us, your desire to use us and to empower us to accomplish your will. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Let's see, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Sherilyn out the back there. Did anyone else hear a beep, beep, or was that just in my head again? Okay. Oh, okay. Yes, very good. I was a little worried about myself for a moment. All right. Yeah, that's the timer started. Go. 30 minutes. Okay. Um, if you would please turn to, uh, well, you know what, before I tell you that, um, my hope for us here really this year, and here it's the last uh, the last sermon in, in the month of of uh, January, but my hope for us here is that we would have what a vibrant and dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, all of us corporately and individually together that we enjoy a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, that uh, it would be a centerpiece to everything else that we've got going in our lives, you know, uh, that it was the centerpiece to everything else. Um, we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, that it is hard to maintain a prayer life. And it is hard to maintain a life of, uh, of being in the Scriptures. And it's hard for us, to, you know, it's hard for us to do those things. It's very difficult. And, of course, the reason is that we're just, we're just all lousy sinners. And we have a sin nature that, that doesn't really want any part of that. So uh, it's like uh, Romans chapter 7 where Paul's talking and he's saying, uh, you know, the things I don't want to do, those I keep doing. The things I do want to do, those I, I don't do. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Um, and, I, you know, I think we, you and I can look at that and think that kind of the same thing, is that the things I really want, the re- things I really think are important, I keep not doing them. What is wrong with me? What can I do? Um, we're going to read this morning about a man who, uh, who, had, who lived with so much clarity that he absolutely positively changed the history of the world. Uh, an incredible life, an, an incredible life. Um, and we're going to see, we're going to read about him this morning. We're going to read about what his goals in life were. And uh, it's really just kind of mind-blowing about, uh, about the clarity that he lived with. Um, John, um, oh my goodness, his name escapes me. It'll come to me about 30 minutes after I finish today. Um, wrote a book, uh, one of his books about leadership. Um, oh, someone, help me out here. Huh? John Maxwell, thank you. Thank you. John Maxwell, yes, John Piper, you doing reform this morning, David? Where are you headed? All right. Uh, John Maxwell wrote a book, and he said one of the things he wrote in there, one of the things he wrote about leadership is he says, you can't overestimate the importance of practically everything. Let me try to say it one more time. You can't overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. I I think that's pretty profound. You know, the things that we busy ourselves with today in another year aren't going to matter a hill of beans is basically what he's saying. The things that we do and the things we busy ourselves with, we can't imagine really how terribly unimportant they are so many times. Um, and it's a very, uh, when you see someone who lives with absolute clarity and absolute purpose in their life, they're a remarkable person. You know what I'm talking about? You know people like that? You know someone like that who's totally surrendered every other part of their life towards something 
some central focus in their lives. People who live like that are absolutely incredible, absolutely focused, and, and they're absolutely making a difference in something. Now, for some of that, some of those folks are doing things that are just absolutely wrong and sinful and, and headed the absolute wrong direction. There are certainly people like that. But when you get on the right track, when you have the right goals, uh, it's amazing to see what God can do with a broken life. Amen? Amen. All right. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, please, as we read from the writing of the Apostle Paul. We get some really incredible insight here from the Apostle Paul that we don't really get in hardly any of the other writers of any of the scriptures. He kind of gives us his own little uh, autobiography here, and it's very seldom that you get this kind of detail about someone's life, but the Apostle Paul's writing it for a purpose this morning. But as you start with me, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. And uh, Paul's going to reveal to us some things about how he lived with so much clarity and so much focus and uh, really transformed so much about Christianity and, and really the history of the world as God worked through him. Anyway, Ephesians, or, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And then he's going to go into some warnings. Watch out for those dogs, those those who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, what a dramatic change of, of the writing style here. He says, you know, he says in the very beginning, he says, my brothers, rejoice. And then he says, watch out for those dogs. Um, what's he talking about there? He's talking about in so many places in the church at this time, there were people who were Judaizers. And what that meant was that they were taking Gentile converts who came to Christ and they said, you got to behave like a Jew. You've got to be circumcised, among other things. And these were adult converts and they weren't really looking forward to circumcision. And so they, they said, no, we don't want to be circumcised. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, and Paul was absolutely totally against this. He says, you did not come by f- to faith by following the law. In fact, he's going to say here in a little bit about how, how much uh, the law bought for him, but is what, he, what he's talking about here, the Judaizers, those people who were, uh, who were basically what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying they're polluting the gospel. They're telling you that there's something that you have to do besides belief in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection that to be saved. He's, the, the, when they teach you something besides that, something on top of that, he says they're dogs and they're false doctrine. And what they're saying is they're devouring and they're polluting the truth of the gospel. Yeah, the absolute purity of the gospel is this, is that salvation is from the Lord. Yeah, that comes back way from Jonah, right, the book of Jonah. Salvation is from the Lord, and he brought it through Jesus Christ. And all you have to do to know God and to be saved is to believe in the work of his son, Jesus Christ, that he paid your debt on the cross, and that is it. There is nothing else that you have to do to be saved. It is simply through belief because if people could be saved by their own goodness or their own works, why did we need Jesus Christ, right? We needed him because we couldn't measure up to God's standards, all right? Okay, verse 4. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to say something about that. Uh, and he says this, uh, For it is we who are the circumcision, who we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. You see, these people were going back and they were putting confidence in their traditions, confidence in, in their circumcision, saying, for this will be saved, for this will gain God's favor. And he says, no, there's, I have no confidence in the flesh. There's no confidence that in the flesh we're going to attain any favor with God. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, we have no confidence in our flesh. Zero, none. All right. 
We're going to make that point a little bit later, but I want to make that there. Okay, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. In verse 4, Paul's going to list and he's going to say this incredible pedigree as a Jew. He has just absolutely faultless and impeccable pedigree. He has all the right things going for him as a Jew. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. In other words, he was not a convert to uh, to Judaism. He was a real. He was born a Jew and and circumcised on the eighth day. He didn't come. He wasn't an Ishmaelite who'd been uh, circumcised on the thirteenth on their thirteenth birthday. He wasn't someone who came to uh, to Judaism, but he was born a Jew and circumcised by the by the ritual by the tradition on the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, who was a well-thought-of tribe of, of Israel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What Paul's saying here, he's, he's tell, writing to those people who were following or listening to the Judaizers. He says, if anyone wants to follow legalism, he says, I followed it, and I had it down to a T. I had it down. My pedigree was impeccable. I was born in the right tribe of, of Israel. I was even zealous to the point that I was persecuting the church for the cause of Judaism, right? And then he goes on to, and says in verse 7, but whatever it was to my prophet, I now consider loss. In verse 7, it says, all that stuff is like lost to me now. And he'd go on to say here in just a little bit later, it's even a little bit worse than that. So let me back up here for just a minute. Paul is saying, I once had confidence in these things. He once thought that he would find favor by being circumcised on this eighth day, by being born in the tribe of, Jude, of uh, Benjamin, by uh, following with, with fervor, by following the Lord what he thought, uh, in being a, a good Jew and persecuting church. He says, I thought I could attain the favor of the Lord through all these things, but now I consider them lost. But look what he considers them lost for, of course, in verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. That word loss means actually means rubbish or trash or other things. For the sake of Christ, right? It means like dung heap, right? Dung. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. All right, let's pause there for just a moment. Let's go back through this verse. Whatever was for my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says in verse, verse 8, what is more, I consider what? Everything a loss. Everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is difficult. I, these are difficult passages, aren't they? Um, and the reason they're, they're difficult is that you and I are, are, um, are divided in, our, in ourselves. We have all these parts of our lives that we're doing and we're pursuing and we're being, you know, we're being students or we're being parents or we're paying for our bills and we're being workers and we have a career to keep up. And Paul says, everything's a loss compared to knowing Christ. And you and I look at these verses and say, how can I make my life a loss? How, how, how can I... How can I how can I say my sole purpose was to live for Jesus Christ and then at the same time go and have to do and work at my job? How can I, how can I say everything is a loss compared to Jesus Christ and then I have to go and I've got to make, earn a living? I've got to study for exams. I've got to, I've got to parent my children. They need baths every, at least once a month or they get stinky. How can I do all that, right? 
How can I do it all? How, how, can I, how can I live with that kind of clarity and with that kind of focus? How do we do that? Let's read on. There's one thing I'd like to point out here um, before we go on. Um, is this, L- look with me in verses 7 through 9 about what he says about what his, what his goals are or, or, or for what cause that he's, he's, he's focused on. It's uh, for the sake of Christ. Would you pull that one up for me? Jennifer. Yeah, okay, yeah, just when I look away. He says this, he says in, in those, in those uh, 7, 8, and 9, in those three verses, he uses these phrases. He says, for the sake of Christ, for knowing Christ, for gaining Christ, and to be found in Him. You see, the theme here is that basically, yeah, that he wants to, he get, wants to everything's a loss compared to for, for the sake of Christ, and that knowing Christ is, is far superior to anything else he's, he's got going on. And above everything else, he wants to gain Christ, and he wants to be found in Christ. This guy's life is summed up in one thing. He wants to know Christ, right? There's something really important here that I need to point out, too. He doesn't look back and say, one time, 25 years ago, this, this book was written about 25 years after, after Paul became a Christian. Uh, and you remember how that happened. He met Jesus, and uh, Jesus said, hey, how you doing? I'm going to blind you now because you've been persecuting my church. But uh, uh, he, 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 looks, he doesn't look back to that one time, and he says, I met Christ, and there was a time in my life where I met him, and now I've gone on with my life. Do you see? He didn't look back at one time. He says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know him even more today. I want to continually, you know, gradually work through all this time in my life. I want to work and know. I want to know him. I want to gain him. I want to be found in him. Not, I want to go back and I want to tell you about this time that I met him 25 years ago. You see the difference? Listen, a lot of people in our Bible Belt culture are caught up in the moment of having met Christ but they're no longer meeting with him today. They're no longer striving to know him. They're not striving to be more obedient to him. They're not desiring him. They're not desiring to know him more. They don't say like, like Paul does here, I want to gain him. I want to be found in him. They say, I've been found. I was lost, then I was found. 25 years ago, I met him, and now I'm good. Uh, no, uh-uh. No, Paul says, I I want to know him. I want to gain him. I want to be found in him, even today. You know, you know. You would think if anyone had some some testimony to boast about, it would be Paul. I mean, he gets to meet the the post-resurrected Jesus, and he was saved actually by Jesus Christ Himself. That, he's the only one in all the scriptures who can say that, right? In all of history, I met Jesus Christ, and he came to me after the you know post-resurrection. I became a Christian. That's a pretty good testimony. But Paul says, that's not his focus, was that one-time event was not his focus. His whole focus was, I want to know him, I want to gain him, I want to be found in him. He wanted to be united and be lost in Jesus Christ. It was his goal, it was his passion, and that was the clear, clear purpose for his life. Everything else centered around that one thing. Yeah? It's a fallacy of our culture of Christianity to think that, we have a one-time event, and we're Christians, and then we go on with our lives. That's not the way we're supposed to look like. That's not. Let's, uh, let's continue. Read with me in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll just read 10 through 12, and that's all we're going to cover today. He says again, I want to know Christ. And he says now, uh, he's, he'll say three different things. I want to know 
Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his, in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He goes on to say some three things here. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The, the, it, would you flip back with me um, one book to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1 verses, I don't have this for uh, Jennifer, so you'll have to look there. Verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says something absolutely incredible about the power that is in us as believers. Uh, it's, it's striking, it's surprising. Matter of fact, this is one of those things, if I didn't read it in the Bible, it would be difficult to believe. Uh, are you with me? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, in verse, verse 19. He's praying for the Ephesians. He said, I want you to know these things. I want you to know, and I'm praying that you're, you'll get it. I'm praying that your, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might know uh, the hope which he's called you to, the riches of his inheritance. And in verse 19, and he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Whose strength? Whose strength? God's strength, where is it? In, in Christ, in us. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in his, in, his, in his heavenly realms. Here's what he says here. The power that is at work, that was at work in Jesus Christ, that raised him from the dead and set him in heaven onto the right hand of the throne of God, that power, Paul writes here in Ephesians, is at work in you and I. Now, why in the world would we need that kind of power? Let me tell you the very first reason. It is hard to follow Jesus Christ because our sinful nature pushes against us at every step along the way. Am I right? We talked last week. We know that a, that a dedicated, persistent, daily prayer life is important to keep us on track in relationship with God. And we all confessed together last week that none of us could do it. Right? None of all of us have have trouble being in the scriptures, and we find that if we are really good at being in the scriptures, that at some point we wake up and we think my scripture reading has become so mechanical that it's just about getting this read, and it's not about growing closer to God. Have you experienced that? If you've been ever very good at reading the scriptures, let me guess what happened. Eventually, you got to the point that it was so mechanical, it was just about learning and getting through it and checking the box so that you could go on with your day. Is that not true? It's because we have lousy sin in us, and it pr still presses against God, and we need his power, the power of his, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in us to continue to sanctify us, and if you will, resurrect us from this old body that we're trying to put down. Are you with me? We need that great power. This, the, the, this power is for a reason. This power is to help us to overcome resistance. And the first place, of course, we have resistance is right here in me and right there in you. We also have, of course, the resistance of the world that pushes against everything that, that uh, Jesus Christ would, would do. But, uh, but that's the thing I want to focus on with you today. How in the world can you and I maintain a prayer life? How in the world can we maintain a focus and a clarity when we have so many other things going on? I tell you, there's only one way. It's only by the power of Jesus Christ. It's only in him. And I tell you, we don't spend enough time praying and just asking the Lord, I don't feel like being in, my script, in the Bible today. I don't feel like being in prayer to you. I just want to confess to you, God, my heart is wicked and broken, and the things that I know I should do, I don't. And so I need your help by the power of 
uh, of Jesus Christ in me, I pray that you would help me follow through with the things that I know I need to do, the things that keep me focused, the things that keep me clear. Can I suggest something else to you? Do you have relationships with people? Uh, I'm sorry, let me try it another way. Are there things in your life that really spur on your devotion and your desire for God? Are there things in your life like that? Sometimes those are relationships. You know, sometimes you just, there are people when you get together and you talk and you begin to, to share about what the Lord's doing in your life or whatever, you're just really encouraged and you just want to, you know, it just makes you want to jump into the scriptures or, 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 or praise God right there. You know, if you have relationships with that, let me encourage you, do those relationships. Be in them. Does it help you to, to praise God? Does it draw your heart closer to him? Then let me encourage you, whatever draws you closer to him, do that. Is it being in the scriptures? Then do that. Is it, is it journaling? Is it praying? Whatever it is, whatever draws you closer to him, I just, let me just encourage you. We're all different. We're all built a little different. I, I love one of the things Matt Chandler says. He says, he says, for, he says for him, um, there's nothing like when he's reading through a scripture and he's praying to journal what he's doing because it just makes him think all full circle about what God's doing. And he says, but this, he says, but some of you, if you were there and you were praying to God about your sister, you'd start to draw in your journal a little picture of your sister and it would be idle time, right? Uh, you know, it, it, we'd just go off and we'd be starting doodling and then pretty soon our mind's somewhere else, right? It, we're all very distinct and we're all very different, but whatever encourages your relationship with God, let me encourage you to do, yeah, and to spend more time doing it, you know? If it's just a quiet time, it's if it's first thing in the morning, if it's the last thing at the end of the day, you know, if, if it's me, I, you know, I, do, I try to read the, my Bible at night, but, often, but I can't pray at night because, you know, I start praying at night and then pretty soon it's morning. You know what I'm saying? I can't do it very well. I can't do it very well. It's got to be in the morning uh, or I'll just miss it. I'm not going to have that opportunity. I'm not going to have that time. And we're all different that way. But whatever pushes you, whatever encourages you in your relationship with God, do it. Make time for that. Are you with me? Maybe it's several of those things, but uh, make time for that. It's important. All right, the next thing he says here is, is um, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is so important, folks. I, I just can't tell you. You and I can't muster up enough discipline to follow through with this, to follow through with trying to make Christ all in all and everything else lost. We're just not built that way. Our, our sinful nature wars against that and says, no, I want this for myself. You know, I want, I want this friendship. I want this relationship for myself. I don't want God to have any control over that. Are you with me? We just have to rely on, on God's power and just believe that he's going to do in us what he said he would do in us to continue to work on our salvation. Amen? Okay. All right. Um, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship uh, of sharing in his sufferings. This is a, this is, these are interesting terms. Um, you know, there may be, th this is a difficult passage. Some of these are difficult to interpret. Probably doesn't mean that he wanted to share in Christ's sufferings because Christ had sufferings that no one, uh, none, none of us else will ever have, right? He was innocent and suffered for the guilty, and none of us can share with him in those sufferings. That was his to bear. That was his, God's calling on him. Uh, we'll never share with that. But maybe, maybe what Paul means here is that, um, that Paul wants to, to learn to share uh, in sufferings uh, like, like, uh, like Jesus did because Paul was called to suffer. Matter of fact, uh, whenever Paul was converted, he, God said, to, God said um, he, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer in my name. 
oh man, I, I, I hope that's not God's calling on my life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, God, can you can I have a little less of that than and okay, something else. Uh, but anyway, maybe that's what Paul's talking about here is that he somehow has to learn to suffer for righteousness or just to suffer for God's calling on his life, that that was God's calling on, on his life. This is, you know, a part where the prosperity gospel kind of falls apart, doesn't it? Prosperity gospel would say, oh, no, Paul was such a righteous man that God would always keep him healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, he was imprisoned and shipwrecked and, and sick and, uh, and uh, probably had problems with his eyes, we think, uh, and, uh, and God called him to suffer. Well, there's prosperity for you. Okay. Moving on. It's a, it's a false gospel, folks, I'm telling you. All right. Um, and becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I tell you what I think he's talking about there is that Jesus Christ died for sins, and you and I are to die to sins. Are you with me? And so we are somehow to attain a resurrection from that body into something that's much more glorious and doesn't have those same struggles. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those things because... Um, uh, because the, the, the point I want to get at here is that being found in Christ, giving everything up for the sake of Christ, um, wanting to know Jesus Christ was his goal, and, and Paul lived with so much clarity, and, and you can see what God did through his humility and through his surrendered life. Can you imagine what God might do through your surrendered life? Can you imagine... And I know none of us is anything special. We're all lousy sinners. I, you know, I've been telling my kids that almost every day here lately. They're all going to have complexes growing up, aren't they? My dad told me every day I was a lousy sinner. Yeah, we are. Uh, let me tell you, we're going to boast about one of two things. We're either going to boast about our successes or we're going to boast about Jesus Christ. I just don't see any other people. It's just one of those two. Um, we're either going to boast that Jesus Christ has overcome our sin or we're going to boast about all of our accomplishments. I, just, I don't see any other kind of people than those two. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting off here a little bit. What I want to say is this, is that what can God do through one surrendered life? Anything he wants. Absolutely anything he wants. Anything he desires the Lord can accomplish through one Small, broken vessel. True? It's true. The problem is, is that too many times his vessels are trying to carry too many things. And we think this thing makes us significant. My career, my hard work, my work ethic. Those aren't bad things. Me being a mom, you know, me, not me, I'm talking for you, see. Okay. Me being a dad, me carrying a career, me making money, me, you know, having a nice house. All those things we, we feel like makes us significant. And Paul says, all that's rubbish. All that's lost compared to this thing. Knowing Jesus Christ. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place that we have that kind of center, that kind of focus, that kind of clarity of life? It's only by the power of Jesus Christ that work within us. There's, there's just no other way. There's just no other way. Yeah? All right. All right. Well, let me close like this. Um, knowing, knowing Jesus Christ was Paul's primary goal. And it was not enough for him to look back at one single event in his life, not to look back and say, yes, at that point I knew God. Um, but he wanted to progressively, continually know Jesus more, to be united with him more, to follow him more intimately. Paul wanted that and desired that for all of his life. And look what happened. Now, I know all of us aren't sitting there and said, oh, yes, I wish I was a missionary like the Apostle Paul. I know, I know we're not all called to be the Apostle Paul, but we're all called to be 
broken vessels, carriers of the gospel, people who help fulfill the calling and the purpose of God. Whatever place that you are, God desires to work in you to do something more significant than you could ever plan or ever dream or ever desire. True? You believe this is true of the gospel? I I, I do too. So uh, let's take a moment and pray together and we'll Heavenly Father, um, I want to pray just just for us here, at the, just at this time. Father, um, Lord, we're people who are very divided, and and very often, Lord, our our desires uh, and the things that we think make us feel very significant. Sometimes those things actually are idols in our lives. They're good things, but they're things that we've let let get a little too high in our priority and our focus. And whether it's a relationship or whether it's our career, or whether it's our work ethic, or, or uh, there are just a number of things that we can allow to, be, uh, to become the God of our lives. And Father, we just confess we're weak people, um, and we need your power at work in us to bring clarity and focus that we might be like Paul and say, I'd give it all to gain Christ. I want to know him. I want to be found in him. Would you make us more like the Apostle Paul in this? Not that we're all called to be missionaries, not that we're all called to write scripture, but we're all called to be used by you. So, Father, I pray that you would take um, our, our frenetic activity, Lord God, and that you would turn it instead, Lord, for a desire and a, and a, and a, a desire to know you better and a desire to, to obey you more, Lord God, I pray. Help us, Father, and uh, in our weakness, Lord God. We need the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, Lord, uh, making this happen, bringing us focus and clarity to our lives, Lord God, I pray. Lord, would you work in us? We're all weak and broken vessels, and we need your activity in us to draw us closer to you. Lord, when we, when we can't seem to keep a consistent prayer life, Lord God, we need your activity, your, your power in us when we don't feel like reading our scriptures or when we do read our scriptures, we're just trying to work to get it done. Lord, we need your, your, your Holy Spirit at work in us. Father, when we go around our day and we're just focused on getting through the, the next thing or the next thing or we're just being lazy, Father, uh, we need the power of your Spirit to wake us up and to show us if you've got a higher calling for us, something greater, something bigger, and you want us to be used by you. We pray this. Uh, pray, Lord, give us a greater desire for you. Give us a greater desire to be obedient to you. Give us a greater desire to to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more, continually and progressively. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen.